Hello, Rebecca. Hey, John. From The Recount and iHeartRadio, this is the News Items Podcast, bringing you analysis based on my newsletter, News Items. It's Monday, May 17th. John, what do you want to get into today? Tom Friedman's latest column, um, which he lays out how BB and Hamas need each other, is, I think, a good one to talk about. I also want to talk about how China has become the leading exporter of armed drones. What about you? Okay, let's talk about the latest media mega merger. This one is between AT&T's Warner Media and Discovery. And let's also discuss a New York Times story about the ongoing unfolding divorce drama between Bill and Melinda Gates. All right, before we get to the items, let's start with two science and tech headlines. Great. First, scientists have been saying for over a year that COVID-19 is airborne, and authorities at the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control are finally accepting that finding. Now that everyone is on the same page, scientists are calling for new air quality guidelines and an overhaul of building ventilation and air filtration. This isn't just about COVID, John. A new study finds cleaner indoor air could save the U.S. economy more than $50 billion a year, considering the productivity lost when people catch the flu or other respiratory infections. What do you think? When I read this story, I thought that the air filtration and ventilation businesses around the world had lobbied successfully. That's a huge trade. That's a huge, huge private equity trade right there. HVAC. Yeah. Building retrofitting. It's real estate. It's infrastructure. There's a ton of money in it. Yes. And we need (laughs) it more than ever now. Yep. Which is good for private equity and good for us. So um, my take is I can't believe that it took this long to acknowledge that uh, the virus is airborne. And now that they have, that's a good thing. Indeed. Next, as the car industry becomes all electric, electronics companies will have a big role to play. Many of them are pivoting to supply the next generation's vehicles with the components needed to charge their batteries and power their engines. The Financial Times reports that Foxconn, the longtime Apple supplier, is the leader in this dynamic. The company has formed a new industry alliance for car manufacturing. When it convened for the first time in March, the showpiece on stage was a car chassis. Another Taiwanese company, Pegatron, started off making iPhones. Now it's assembling cars for Tesla. John, it looks like these two massive industries are fusing into one. Is that accurate to say? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's the takeaway from the FT story is that two gigantic businesses, automotive and electronics, are essentially melding into one great business. We'll talk later about gigantic media companies merging into one, but this is this makes that seem tiny by comparison. And it's not just a merger of equals, it would seem, in terms from an industry perspective. I mean, it sounds like the primary drivers for R&D in chips or computing is going to be transportation applications, which I think is a new thing, right? I mean, that's yeah. the focus is really going to be on how this is potentially transformative or transformational for, for transportation globally. Yeah. I mean, my, my daughter got a Tesla last year and the Tesla guy said to her, do you know how to operate an iPad? And she said, well, yes, I do. And he said, well, then you basically get the idea of driving this car. So good luck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she loves it. She'll never go back. Great. Well, enough of that. Let's get to the news items. First, let's talk about Tom Friedman's latest column for the New York Times. In it, he argues that Hamas and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu need and use each other as foils to rally allies at home and public opinion abroad. And their mutual dependence is what explains the ongoing violence. In recent weeks, Friedman writes, 
a group of formerly unallied parties in Israel were getting closer to announcing a ruling coalition that would include right-wing settler parties, a secular centrist party, and an Israeli Arab Islamist party. That would have been a first. No Israeli Arab party has ever been part of a governing coalition. But according to Friedman, Bibi and Hamas, quote, wanted to destroy the possibility of political change before it could destroy them politically. Okay, John, so the question I have for you is, have they succeeded? I mean, the oversimplified version of this is they had an election. Yeah. Bibi was asked to form a government. Mm -hmm. He was unable to do so. So the president of Israel said, okay, Team B, you go form a government. And out of that came this interesting and potentially very important coalition that included right-wing settlers, but also yes. included this Arab Islamist party. Yeah. And for Bibi, that's an existential threat, right? Because he's under indictment. If this came together, that was the end of Bibi, and maybe it was a one-way ticket to the slammer for Bibi. Uh-huh. You know, this broke out around the mosque in Jerusalem. It quickly escalated, and a lot of people believe that Bibi did everything he could to turn it into a major conflagration. Yeah which it has now become. So the formation of that government collapsed. Mm -hmm. That leaves Bibi in power. He's the commander-in-chief. He's fighting for the existential project that is Israel. And he doesn't seem to be in any mood to end the war. Mm -hmm. If anything, he's escalating the war. Yeah. So Bibi and Hamas have been able to cling to power for as long as it lasts. It's just a matter of time, right? We don't know, right? Because the war will end, right? Yeah. And Israel, I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to have the fifth election? Yeah. I'm sure that Bibi would press for that because he would think he will do better after the war yeah. than he did before the war. So, you know, maybe that's what happens. And then he wins that election gathers enough votes from enough parties to continue as prime minister. Yeah. He's like Trump in that way, in that most politicians, when they get to like 50% plus one, they think, okay, well, that was too close for comfort. I'd like to get to 55. Yeah. But Bibi, like Trump, is like, well, if I motivate my base to an X degree, then I can maintain 50.1. And that's all part of a global phenomenon that we call polarization. Mm -hmm. Moving on, let's go to the next news item. The New York Times had a story over the weekend detailing Bill Gates's quote-unquote questionable behavior. Sources said this included pursuing women who worked for him at Microsoft, a close friendship with Jeffrey Epstein, and his potential mishandling of a sexual harassment claim against his longtime money manager. His wife, Melinda Gates, filed for divorce earlier this month. John, you wrote in news items this morning that you thought this hit piece seemed thin. Tell me about it. In politics, there's something called opposition research. So you mm -hmm. investigate your opponent's background looking for things that will look bad on TV ads and stuff. And that's known as oppo. And this piece read like Melinda Gates's lawyer's oppo oh. dump. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. every single piece of it was obviously from her side. There was no one from Bill Gates's side who would put forward anything that was in the story. So, yeah. you know, in terms of 
what used to be called fair and balanced. It was unbalanced, and from my reading of it, it was entirely sourced by Melinda Gates's lawyers and public relations people. You know, Bill Gates invited an employee of Microsoft out for dinner, and he said, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, then just don't respond. And she didn't respond. So as things go, in this context, all of this information coming from Melinda Gates's PR people and and her lawyers, Mm -hmm. it all cast Bill Gates in a dreadful light. And the only thing that his people can do is deny it or say it's misinterpreted, but nobody remembers that. The only thing they remember is that Gates was, quote, inappropriate, and quote, with women who worked at Microsoft. That his friendship with, you know, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein was in some way, I mean, it's, in my view, it was a huge mistake on his part. But as far as I know, there's no credible allegation that he was involved in Mr. Epstein's activities, let's put it that way. I think there are questions as to how deep the relationship was between Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein, right? Yeah. I mean, several people overheard him directly tell Jeffrey Epstein that he was unhappy in his marriage. Mm. You know, if this was an innocent or coincidental Meeting of two people from rarefied spheres who didn't really know each other or weren't really involved. Why would you overshare to that extent? If the New York Times reporter found that person independently, yeah. you know, I'll eat my shoe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's this a classic oppo dump. Okay. It puts him in an incredibly awkward position. And the only thing he can do to make it go away is settle at a much higher number than he imagined. When you see the uh, the pull from his email to the woman, if this makes you uncomfortable, pretend it never happened. I mean, this is like, right. I don't know. It's not as pithy as hashtag me too, but I think it's something many people can relate to. If this makes you uncomfortable, pretend it never happened. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Thanks. I mean, Bill Gates obviously has some... Some social obtuseness, I think, that he can probably hide behind in this, you know, in this situation. He's a little, perhaps not the most astute at taking social cues. He's founded a company that's wildly successful and that sort of confers a sense of entitlement with it, you know, in terms of, you know, you can ask somebody out to dinner and it's not going to play the same way against you as it would if you were a middle manager somewhere where you'd be, you know, fired. I don't know. I just, I think this is... uh, I mean, look, do you think it's something as innocent as Bill Gates's team is trying to lowball Melinda in the settlement? And so this is a sort of PR dump in order to get the best possible deal. I mean, if this was it's it's interesting because they didn't have a prenup. <laughs> so <laughs> for what I I mean, now that we're talking about salacious separation divorce details, I mean Yeah, I mean, what what we're looking at here is that the first period of the game, Uh Melinda has scored 28 points and Bill (laughs) has scored none. And so if you're Bill, you're saying, you know what, I'm probably going to lose the game. So how do I settle and get out of this game altogether? And I think Melinda will end up with a lot more than she might have otherwise. Yeah. She's played her cards very, very well. And Bill's team has clearly not played its cards very well. So it would seem. Yeah. All right. All right. That's a wrap. Let's get to the next news item. According to the magazine The Wire China, the People's Republic is now the world's foremost supplier of armed drones. China had little trouble cornering this market because the U.S. only exports drones to its closest allies. 
The article quotes an expert on China's drone program who says, quote, the People's Liberation Army is a force that does not have recent operational experience, so these drone sales may be a chance to see how well these weapons systems perform under operational conditions. Seems like a win-win for China. John, help us understand why it matters that China is dominating the armed drone market. So there was a recent war between Armenia and Azerbaijan, mm-hmm. and Armenia you would have thought, had the slight advantage in that war. But Azerbaijan had these Chinese-made drones, and they were able to bring Armenia to a kind of partial surrender in fairly short order. Azerbaijan won the war. Mm -hmm. And what that brief war sort of suggested was not just that drones were the future of warfare, but that tanks were obsolete because Mm -hmm. drones could take them out. And the Azerbaijanis took out vast amounts of Armenia hardware in pretty short order. Mm -hmm. China has been selling drones around the world. They're not as good as the American drone hardware, if you will. The actual vehicle itself is better. It's better designed. It better performs. It flies at higher altitudes, etc., So there, the U.S. has a significant advantage. But Mm -hmm. on the software side, the future of drones is, I guess you would call them self-driving drones. They make their own decisions using artificial intelligence. So they Mm -hmm. identify what's happening on the ground. That goes into the AI. The AI says, okay, we hit that house, not that house. And if you put hundreds of drones up in the air, so-called swarms, and they're operating together, but they're not directed from the ground. They're making their own decisions. And the future of warfare is really completely changed. Yeah. And that's the big fear here is that Chinese will jump ahead in terms yeah. of the software, and that will create an advantage for them in any number of theaters all around the world. It seems to me that if China had this massive head start on developing this market in liberal drone sales, then the U.S. response is either to produce better drones or can it produce counter-drone technology? What's the play for the U.S. to respond? You know, on the hardware side, we're ahead. The big open question is whether Chinese software, artificial intelligence, will be as good as, if not better than, the U.S. AI and self-directing drones. The way that you defend against drones is you interfere between the controller and the drone itself. But if the drone is its own controller, then defending against drones becomes all but impossible. Well, it's a multipolar world. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's a frightening future that we're looking at. Sure. We should have a drone, Rebecca. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to News Items. John, in the past, you've speculated that AT&T, the world's most indebted non-financial company, would spin off CNN. This morning, your prediction, maybe even your wish, came true. And then some. Over the weekend, Bloomberg broke the news on talks between AT&T and Discovery, Inc. to merge Discovery and AT&T's WarnerMedia, which includes CNN, HBO, TNT, and TBS, and create a new media giant run by Discovery's CEO, David Zaslav. Today, they made it official and announced a signed deal. AT&T shareholders will own 71% of the new venture, while Discovery's shareholders will get 29%. AT&T spent a tremendous amount of money and political capital to acquire WarnerMedia, and now they're spinning it off. 
John, please explain to us why. Well, they made a big bet on media. Yeah. First was DirecTV, the satellite TV outfit mm -hmm. that I think they bought for, I don't know, 45 or $49 billion. Two or three years ago, they ended up selling it for $15 billion to TPG, the private equity group. That one obviously didn't go well. And then when they bought Warner Media, everybody said, oh, my God, this is the AOL Time Warner merger revisited. Apparently, anytime Warner Media is involved in a super deal, it ends badly. And sure enough, it ended badly for AT&T. They're now essentially out of that business. Yeah, definitely. It's all about scale, right? And mm -hmm. in order to compete with Netflix and Disney, you have to be that big. Yeah. And so this is a combination. Discovery is a small company, relatively speaking. Warner Media is a very big company. They're putting the two together to create an even bigger company. What AT&T gets out of it is the ability to pay down its enormous debt, which I think is $165 billion at the moment. It's one of the two most indebted listed companies in the world. Mm -hmm. So they get some dough to pay down the debt. and They're out of that business. They never should have been in it in the first place. Yeah. Shareholders will like it because the debt burden will be lessened to some degree. and. Mm -hmm. It'll get them focused back on what they're good at. So it's a bit of budgetary housekeeping for AT&T. Mm -hmm. In terms of the discovery-led you know, media circus tent, does this create a fun and exciting attraction for viewers? What do you think? Are you excited about it from a media ownership and content standpoint? They have a lot of hooks, right? I mean, people like the reality shows that Discover has. You know, HGTV, right? Yeah, HGTV, the you know the house repair show, whatever that's mm -hmm. called, is really popular. And they have other popular shows that are sort of low-budget but fun reality TV shows. Mm -hmm. They have a pretty significant sports footprint overseas. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Warner Media has a lot of sports rights contracts. Mm -hmm. So you have the reality TV hook, you have the sports hook, and then you have the big dogs, HBO and the Warner Library of Movies and yeah. TBS and TNT. So would you spend 10 or 12 bucks a month to get that? I suspect that'll do pretty well. Will it keep CNN or will it spin it off or peel it off? No, I think they'll keep CNN. But for political reasons, it's always good to have an important political voice in Washington. And CNN is a huge presence in Washington. And, you know, a senator is going to be careful about mm -hmm. going after that company because they own CNN and payback is, is certainly a possibility. John, maybe you could explain to our listeners the potential political dynamics. The political dynamic is pretty straightforward, right? You don't want to go after a company that owns a major media institution, or you're less likely to because you're afraid that there will be political payback. It's not like somebody at this new company is going to call Jeff Zucker and say, go after Ted Cruz because he said nasty things about us. It's sort of a soft power situation <laughs> where you're not deploying military weapons, you're deploying your ability to change the environment, if you will, the political media environment. And so you look at a company that owns CNN and you're, you're more careful than you would otherwise be. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they'll get rid of CNN immediately. I'm not sure they'll get rid of it at all because that's another one of the hooks into the consumer is news. Yeah. 
news, sports, entertainment, reality TV, mm-hmm. got a lot to offer. Question is, you know, are you and I spent out? I mean, the idea of us cutting the cord was that we would save money. We only really needed Netflix and maybe Hulu or or whatever. And now everybody and their brother, we should come up actually with a subscription package for cable TV. And the question (laughs) is, how many of these things can you have, right? If you're going to pay for the NBC one, you know, eventually this is all going to cost 20 bucks a month. So if you have five companies doing it, that's 100 bucks a month. Uh The idea of cutting the cord was to make that number go away. Mm -hmm. But it's a gigantic media enterprise, a lot of hooks into the customer, and Mm -hmm. I think it'll be successful. Zasloff is, you know, a fantastically capable executive. So, you know, if anybody can manage something like that well, it's probably him. Does he have a compelling vision for the future of media? From his point of view, it's about hooks in the consumer. Yeah. And he wants as many as he possibly can, so they'll pay more and more for it. The more interesting, or to me, of course, more interesting, is what does NBC Universal or Comcast do, right? Because now they are, I don't know, they're fourth, okay? And uh, fourth is kind of a bad place to be. So do they buy CBS? Do they? That'll be interesting to see how they respond to this. Definitely something to watch. And for more insights on the wide world of real assets, check out my website. That's investableuniverse.com. And if you want more news items, you can get that at newsitems.substack.com. News Items is produced by Christian Castro Russell, Pierre Bienname, Anna Mazarakis, and Ali Rogers. Our theme music was composed by Billy Libby. Our recording engineer is Simran Singh, and we'd like to thank the whole team here at Factory Underground. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon with more of the news. We'll see you then.